This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato, and today I am joined by Jess once again to discuss The Leftovers. So, hi, Jess. Hi, everyone. I'm back. So, we've recently watched HBO's The Leftovers. Uh, This is my third viewing of the show, um, and this was Jess's first viewing. Um, And it is one of my favorite shows of all time from start to finish. And it was, yeah, just a unique experience. So we wanted to discuss, I guess, the broader themes of the show and really get into the nitty gritty of why the show is as memorable as it is. But Jess, what was your experience watching the show? Um, So I actually really enjoyed this series. Um, When Chris came to me and said, oh, I've got a new show, you're really going to like it. I put it off for months and months. Um, still watching How Met Your Mother in the Office on repeat, but he said we needed something different. So first I was a little bit sceptical because the premise is not dark per se, but it is a little bit, you know, look, everyone, 2.5% of the world's disappeared. What happens to everyone else? Um, It took a little bit of time for me to get into it. The first episode was a little bit, you know, that setting up, a little bit slow. Um, and by the end of it, I was asking, watch again. I think I stayed up way past my bedtime multiple times to watch this show. So I really enjoy it. And when it kind of ended, although I was satisfied with the ending, I wish there were a couple more seasons. But I guess with a show this good, um, you best leave it as it is and not drag it out and ruin all your hard work. Yeah, I think... This is one of those examples where the show didn't stay past its welcome. It definitely had um, all the elements there that I was looking for in a show like this. It has that strong setup at the start. And like you said, it does take a little time to get into it. But I don't mind that slow burn. And I think I'm accustomed to that type of uh, filmmaking because I do like, you know, the slow burn of a horror film and things like that. And that fi- this film definitely has that character build up. We are introduced to the Garveys, which I guess are our central catalysts for this whole series. We're following them as they're the leftovers, really. So we get introduced to, you know, Matt and Mary and Nora along the way. But Mary. yeah, Jess's favorite character, Mary, who doesn't really have an arc. but She uh, does too. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. But um, I... I I do appreciate, yeah, just just the characters. All of these characters are flawed. Um, none of them are um, none of them are shining lights, really. That they've all got their issues, um, and I think that all comes to um, a head in our um, penultimate episode in this uh, first season, which is um, the Garvey's at their best, which I think is probably the best episode of the first season. Uh, that is just as we see. The, the day um, of the vanishing, really, of everyone. And we're, we're following the Garveys as they go about their daily life. We're introduced to Tommy, who's uh, Kevin's stepson. Um, and um, I, I guess just their relationship and how Tommy's a little damaged because he was abandoned by his real birth father. Um, we're following Laurie. Um, we can see Laurie's a little controlling. Um, I guess we'll, we'll set up where these characters are um, at the start of the season. So Kevin is the chief of police, played wonderfully by Justin Thero. 
Um, we are introduced to Nora Durst. Uh, Nora is um, the only one left out of her family as the her two kids and her husband disappear. Uh, we have Mary and Matt. Matt is the local priest of the town. Um, and Mary, after the events of... Um, what is the date again, Jess? It's jogged October your memory. 12th. 14th. October 14th. 14th. Yeah. Um, after the events of October 14th, um, where 2.5% of the world's population disappeared, um, Mary was in a car accident, which has rendered her, um, like she's unable to walk um, and she's unable to speak she's and communicate. Yeah, she's in like a vegetative state, I mm. think is what, what, what it's called. Um, so we're introduced to those characters as well. Um, we have Jill, who is Kevin and Laurie's daughter, um, and she is a bit of a pain, but I guess she's gone through a lot as well, and we see a lot of that in that episode that I talked about. Um, and her friend, who is also living with them, who has a weird relationship with Kevin or a weird affliction with Kevin, um, and Laurie, who has now become a... Um, no, Laurie is a cultist. I haven't explained where Laurie oh. is. And La- Patty. And Patty, um, Patty Levin, who is also the leader of this cult called the Guilty Remnant. Um, essentially, they want everyone to remember um, October 14th because everyone's sort of trying to move on with their lives. But I guess where these people disappear, it's very difficult for that to happen. Um, and we are introduced to just a, a really interesting group of characters. And like I said, they're all very flawed. And season one really does highlight a lot of that. What about Meg? Do we see Meg in the first? Yeah, yeah, we were introduced to Meg. So Meg's played by Liv Tyler, who was probably the biggest cast's name um, when the cast was announced for this series, just because Liv Tyler, of course, being um, daughter of rock star from Aerosmith, Steve Tyler, um, and Liv has her own acting career in her own right, but she's quite a big actress. Um, and she is a conflicted new member of the Guilty Remnant. We see that she, um, we're not introduced to why she joins the Guilty Remnant really until season two, um, but. Three. The last season with Evie. Oh, season three with yeah. Evie, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're not really introduced to um, why Meg has gone through what she's gone through, um, but essentially Meg is yeah, conflicted and she's sort of like a, I guess you'd say she's an apprentice in this whole world and she's sort of um, learning the ropes from Laurie. Um, and, yeah, the the big leader of this cult is um, Patty Levin. So we'll talk about season one. Um, so season one um, does focus on, I guess, Kevin is our main character through all three films, I would say. Um, whilst we spend episodes with individual characters, Kevin's probably the the main source of everything. I guess Nora sort of takes over a little in season three, but we are predominantly dealing with a lot of Kevin and Kevin's baggage. Uh, Kevin is probably the most damaged person, and I think a lot of it does come from his father, um, who has gone a little insane since October 14th, saying he's hearing voices and that sort of thing, and he was chief of police when um, October 14th did take place. Um, and now he resides in a mental institution, um, still saying that he's hearing voices. And um, I guess, yeah, we, we, we get to, to know a lot about um, him as well in the later seasons. But it, you, you sort of understand that there's that strained relationship. And it's not until that penultimate episode that I talked about, uh, the Garvey's at their best, that we sort of see a little bit of their back and forth. There's a bit of a complex where Kevin is trying to make it by himself in this town as a member of the police force, but he's constantly, I guess, he constantly has his father there, so it's sort of hard for him. So 
he's talking about the, I think it's the deer um, in that episode where he's talking about how um, there's that deer that's loose in the in the town and oh. there's been the complaints about the deer and Kevin's talking about how we don't need to kill it. But um, Chief Garvey's like, well, you do need to kill it because it's causing damage and havoc sort of thing. And he's like, well, I'll catch it by myself. So we have that sort of back and forth there where Kevin's trying to do the right thing, but he's got that pressure from his dad sort of to say, hang on, uh, you need to yeah, do do this this way. Um, so we see a lot of that. And Kevin's sort of very, very damaged. Um, and we get to know a little about him. We know that he's cheated on his wife once um, during October 14th and the partner that he was with did disappear, which was pretty um, – a pretty horrific thing to happen, I guess, because you're with someone and you've made that mistake. And I guess that mistake ends up meaning absolutely nothing and ends up having a larger implication on yourself. And it was just that one lapse in just stupidity. And yeah, it's it's gone on to affect him pretty badly. So what what's your take on Kevin and, and his overall arc in that first season? I don't think he has too much of an arc in the first season. It's more setting up. Um, until he kind of meets Nora and stuff. I think he's damaged as well because of Laurie leaving um, and joining the Guilty Remnant, and the Guilty Remnant does cause the police an awful amount of distress, you know, showing up on people's um, doorsteps, just not moving out of the way in front of cars, things like that. They always are causing problems within the town, and I think it hurts Kevin that his wife um, is part of that cult. And I suppose that becomes more and more prevalent as the time goes on and he starts, the guilty remnants start giving him more and more issues, particularly Patty. Um, I think as well him trying to deal with uh, with Tommy leaving. Tommy left. Um, they, he doesn't currently live with the Garveys at the moment. He's out um, on a mission, would you say? Like it's yeah. more like a mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tommy's sort of, so um, to set up, Tommy's working for a guy called Wayne who reckons he can take away people's pain by hugging them. Um, and it sounds really absurd, but it does have serve its purpose in the show. Um, so Tommy's on his own mission there. And I guess be, even though Tommy's not blood related to Kevin, um, like I said, we set up that relationship. And uh, during, I think it's nearly every episode leading up until then, um, Kevin does call Tommy mm. um, and leaves a message on his phone trying to get hold of and each time we get his voicemail until I think it's the second last episode before that's Garvey's at their best where he calls and the phone just says this line is now disconnected. So he's starting to freak out because he thinks something's happened to Tommy, but we don't really know what's happened. Um, so, um, well, he doesn't know from his perspective, we know what's happened because we're mm. seeing it happen. But um, yeah, it's, it's sort of that back and forth. And I think, like you said, um, I, I think there is a fair bit of setup and a bit of payoff with Kevin in that first season. We start with him being completely lost, and I think um, that's symbolised through the dog that they do find. So there's the whole thing where... Isn't that the second one? No, that's season one. Uh. So Kevin's set up in season one where um, he's met this guy. Well, I think his name's Bob. I can't remember. And we, we're starting to think it's a figment of his imagination, and the townspeople are thinking that as well. Um, and I guess the symbolism here is that he's sort of like a guardian angel to Kevin. Um, and the way that that's set up is really interesting. So essentially the two of them are hunting the dogs and the dogs end up having a huge part of that first season sim like symbolically. Um, essentially the dogs are now after the events of October 14th, they've become um, 
uh, they, they've become back to their natural state of being like pack animals. Um, and they say it's because a lot of them witness what happened. So it's sort of had that effect on them. And they're trying to say that the dogs have that sixth sense about them as well. Um, so because of these events now, we've got all these wild dogs in Mapleton, New York, and um, it's up to Kevin to sort of control these wild dog populations. And like Bob says during that, he's like, they're not our dogs anymore. Um, so that's the setup. And uh, on a, a night of Kevin's psychosis, so Kevin sleepwalks and he has no recollection. And initially we think it's due to him being on heavy medication, which we see he's on quite a bit of medication, but after he takes the medication away, he's still sleepwalking. Um, and during this time he sleepwalks and he takes one of the dogs um, back to his house and he wants to train it and he's made a bet with this guy. Um, so that dog is sort of that symbolism of like restoration to Kevin's life sort of, I think, during that whole season. It's like Kevin is a mess. And then it, it's sort of like when he meets Nora, Nora sort of starts to bring him back to reality a little, which is really important. And I think that's where we leave Kevin at the end of that first season is Kevin sort of having that promise that maybe things will get better, um, which is really interesting. And I think as well, this relationship that he forms with this guy too, um, they end up kidnapping Patty Levin, the the leader of the Guilty Remnant, and Patty says she's going to ruin Kevin's life. Um, and then Patty ends up killing herself. Um, which then leads to season two where Patty becomes Kevin's guardian angel as like a figment of his imagination or is she really there? And it's never really explained. It's really up to your interpretation of what you believe. Um, and I think regardless, she still serves the same purpose for Kevin during that time. And that's sort of for him to appreciate what he's got. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I really like that that development of Kevin. And I think he's, because like I said, these people aren't good people. A lot of them, like Nora's probably the best out of a lot of them, but Nora has her own issues as well. Like we have in season one where she um, goes to a conference. So um, Nora's job is to determine whether or not the people have vanished. Um, so she has to go to the grieving families and if they have vanished, then they're entitled to like an insurance payout. Um, but if they haven't vanished, she's got to determine which ones are lying and which ones are real uh, through this grueling questionnaire. And there's some pretty rough moments, um, one being with uh, this family who have a Down syndrome boy, um, which is pretty pretty sad to see this family sort of relive, you know, the fact that their the son who does have Down syndrome has vanished. Um, and the questions that Nora has to ask are quite intrusive and quite insulting but they're things that she does have to do because it's part of her job and she's got to sort of wean out the ones who are lying and the ones who are actually grieving. So um, her position is really interesting. And in that first season, she does go to a conference where someone steals her identity. Um, and I guess that sort of is symbolic of the fact that Nora herself is going through a major identity crisis, not really knowing how to cope. Is she supposed to move on or is she supposed to remember? And that's the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, did you explain that Nora lost three of her? Yeah, I thought so. Um, yeah, I think that episode I actually quite enjoyed, the conference one. Um, and I think you're introduced to, yeah, why she is spiralling so much and the hurt that she has of having, what, what do they call them, legacies. When you, lose, when you lose someone in this as part of that 14th of October, you get called a legacy and Nora was a three-time legacy because she lost three people out of her family. So, um, yeah, you kind of see why she's in so much pain and stuff. And I think that's um, 
explored a little bit more in the second one. Is that when she hires someone to? No, in season one, she hires someone to shoot her. So she wants to feel pain um, and she wants to feel something. So she hires, she normally hires prostitutes essentially to come around and shoot her. So she'll put on a, a bulletproof vest and in close range have herself shot just so she can feel something. Um, and that's a running theme during the seasons as well. So in season three, Kevin puts a bag over him, uh, over his head and um, experiences asphyxiation just so he can feel something as well. Um, and we'll get into season two now because I think we've covered everything in season one. Do you think, do you have anything else you yeah, want to say? Yeah, it's more of a setup, isn't it? The, yeah. the guilty remnant, you get a bit of an idea of what they're about. You get a bit of an idea of Jill and Kevin um, and Tommy's really set up. Um, and I don't think you see too much of Laurie until is it season to the end of season she, two? She's got given the, a lot to do in this season, but it's a lot of writing down on a piece of paper and communicating and more with setting the guilty up remnant. Meg, isn't yeah. she? But is it the end of season one where the house gets burned on fire? Yeah. Is that season yeah. two? Yeah, no, season so. season two is the fall of the guilty remnant, really. So um, the guilty remnant still exists, but they're nowhere near as powerful and prominent. And I guess it's more of their faction. Patty, Patty dies. Well. Yeah. yeah. So they had this plan and I guess that's the the big oh, finish of you... the season season one is when they, they have this plan essentially um, they've ordered all these dummies which is set up in um, the episode of the conference. Um, and they Billy Magnuson's in that episode too, which Jess wouldn't know, but Billy Magnuson is quite a big actor now, so it's pretty cool seeing him in that episode. Um, but yeah, essentially they have these dummies and they're real, realistic, real life representations of, um, these people, um, that who did disappear in these days. So they've collected clothes of what they were wearing and that sort of thing. And they've set up these people in the homes, um, of, of those who have lost someone on October 14th. And that just creates just rage and, um, riots essentially in the streets of Mapleton. And you just see... Society is like on the brink of collapse in a very strange way. It's not your typical post-apocalyptic sort of world, but it is a world that's completely been just, you know, it's it's like it's been ring drive anything that's possibly um, well, sanity. It's just so it's, unknown because everyone doesn't know. These people just literally vanished and it happened in front of people. So no one knows where they've gone, what to do. And I think... The, it all comes to head with the guilty remnant because they just keep bringing things up and people want to move on and and that's why yeah these guilty remnant people I don't even know how to explain them like I was going to bring up um is her name Gladys or Gladys when yeah she gets when she gets stoned so I didn't I closed my eyes in this part because it's very gruesome um but yeah they they kill themselves and that's why Patty did this too to like for attention and to um, make people realise and turn inwards to the guilty remnant. And, um, yeah, when Gladys gets stoned, that's another Kevin's just, you know, Kevin's the first responder to that and just thinks, what the heck? Same with Patty. Um, and people just are so sick of these guilty remnant cults running around and they just set the whole place on fire. And I think that's when Laurie kind of understands where Kevin, because Kevin comes, Jill, who's obviously dealing with a lot of, you know, her mum's left and joined a cult. She's with her dad, Kevin. Her dad's just off the rails. Her brother's off somewhere else. So Jill has obviously a lot of internal problems going on and she actually goes to the guilty remnant to try and be with her mum for a little bit. And Jill gets caught up in this fire 
and Kevin comes in to save her. And I think that's when Laurie kind of realised, oh, my goodness, what am I doing in this Well, that's cult? the first time that we hear Laurie speak after mm. um, joining the Guilty Remnant. Um, she just screeches Jill. Mm. Um, and it's just like sort of this release to say, Kevin, God, do something. Jill's mm. in that fire. Um, and then I guess the end of the season too. So Tommy's, um, Tommy's whole story too is um, essentially um, – this Wayne guy has impregnated a, a few ladies um, and um, she's given birth to one of the children, um, but she's abandoned the kids. So Tom, um, who catches up with Laurie, we see, um, has left the baby um, for Kevin. And I think the idea is there that um, Laurie wants Kevin to sort of feel whole again. And she's trying to help Kevin, even though Kevin's wronged her and their, their marriage was on the brink of failure anyway. Um, but he's she's trying to and Tommy too, they're just trying to, you know, bring them back together in a, in a way. Um, and that makes Nora stay. So Nora and Kevin are dating and Nora was going to leave. She had written a letter, which we hear over the text um, when the credits start to kind of roll um, at the end of that first season as Kevin's walking back uh, to the house, like covered in like charcoal after saving Jill and Jill, Kevin and the dog that he saved are walking back to the house and Nora sees the baby. And then that's sort of where season one just, leaves us that's that's where we finish up um yeah i don't really have any other ones to add the baby's cute the baby is cute do you remember what's the name of the baby lily lily yeah um and then season two picks up in miracle um so we are introduced to this town it's jordan in texas renamed miracle after the events of october 14 um and essentially this town had no um, no people disappeared during October 14. Everyone remained there. So they think that there's something special about this town. So the events of that day um, take place every day um, to try and recreate what happened there just so that they can, I guess, appease their gods is what they're trying to do. It's that that very basic ritualistic sense of let's keep doing what we're doing um, and we can keep, you know, the sanity and keep everything the way that it is so that if this event does take place again, it's not going to take anyone. Um, so we're introduced to the Murphys, um, who are an interesting bunch of people. We have John, who is a bit of a an asshole, I would say. Um, he's obviously gone through a bit of trouble as a kid. We find out that he was molested by his father um, through just a passing comment, but we know that he was wronged um, as a child, so he definitely harvests some of that he um, attempted murder um, he was charged with, which we find out was on his father. Um, he did try to kill him. Um, we have um, his wife as well. Do you remember what his wife's name is? I'm going to have to look it up. No. Um, oh. But we're introduced to this family um, who are residents of Jordan. Um, Evie, of course, um, who is the catalyst for season two, I guess, with her disappearance, which sparks everything um, and sets it all on a on a bit of a, a run um, and it's very, um, her name's Erica. Erica. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting to see all of that happen too, because I guess the, the town goes into a spiral um, in, in season two because they've had a disappearance of three girls. And it's just like, how does that impact now the town, uh, a town that was really not affected by this event. So season uh, two is my favorite season. I don't mm. know how you feel, but Season two yeah. is just um, another level. I, I really like the introduction of the the Murphys. They're very interesting. There's a fantastic conversation between um, Erica and Nora in 
season two where so, they sit. So you missed out one important thing. Yes. The Garveys moved to Miracle. Yeah, yeah I was going to so. get into that. So um, what what happens at the season two at this uh, I guess episode uh, at the end of episode one where um, we see that the Garveys have moved next door to the Murphys in Miracle. Um, we see Nora's impulsive buy of a very expensive home after she got in a payout um, for her home because she was going to sell her home back in Miracle because a, a science, um, I think it was a university, I think it was the University of Texas or something, wanted to buy, no, it was Oxford. Oxford want to actually buy um, the, the house because they want to do some research to find out if there's some correlation as to how Nora's entire family disappeared um, so she got a big payout from that. So they buy a big house in Jordan, Texas, um, and they move there. So um, we see Kevin, Nora, Jill, and Lily all move into this house. It's a rundown old shithole of a house. Um, and um, they move next door to the Murphys, and they start to form a bit of a relationship. But um, like I mentioned at the end of se- – or I guess it's not introduced until season two, but um, – Kevin starts to see Patty Levin everywhere and we don't know if it's true or not or what's going on. So Kevin's experiencing some inner turmoil because he's like, am I going insane? Am I turning into my dad? Like mm. what, what is going on? Um, and he's, of course, sleepwalking again. We look um, at the end of the first episode. Um, we see that um, Kevin was at the disappearance, at the site of the disappearance of the girls and what looks like an attempted suicide um, but then as we learn on, it wasn't to kill himself, it's to get rid of Paddy um, because there's like a another ritualistic sense where he can kill himself um, and he goes into this inner battle within his head um, to, um, I guess, take down Paddy Levin um, in my favourite episode of the of the season. Um, and, yeah, I, I really did enjoy, I guess, all of the what's going on in this season. It's very interesting. Mm. Um I guess you can. I'll leave you to talk about your two favorite characters, Matt and Mary, and their <laughs> involvement. So Matt and Mary, which we didn't talk much in season one, um, have moved to Miracle as well. They moved before um, the the Durst Garvey residence did, um, and that's due to, um, I guess. Uh, well, I think I think well the- Matt moved because he heard about uh, there was an opening at one of the churches, and he heard that. Uh, miracles happen down in miracles. So he's been dealing with Mary for three years, I think it is, and he believes that if he moves to Miracle, Mary will um, wake up, um, which, in fact, she actually does. So there's a time where, um, and I, I, I can't remember if we actually see it or not. We don't see it. No, he talks she, about he, it. Yeah, yeah, he talks about it, which is one of the good things about The Leftovers. You're not shown everything, so you're really – in your own mind, you're thinking, oh, did this actually happen or did it not? But apparently Mary wakes up during the middle of one night, Matt and then, um, and Mary are talking, and then um, she actually falls pregnant. So um, they, you know, get it on while Mary's awake, and then when he wakes up again, Mary's back in her comatized state. So he takes her to the doctors um, for her routine checkups and things, and she they find out that she's pregnant. And that causes a lot of drama throughout the town because they all think that Matt has slept with Mary when she was in a comatized state um, and he's the priest and they all think that, you know, she, he's raped Mary and um, but he's sticking to his guns. And so Matt then be kind of becomes a little bit obsessed with what he did on the day um, that Mary woke up. So it's very parallel to what happens in the town of Miracle every day where people just continue to do the same thing. 
And for about a week there, I had the same song stuck in my head. Yeah. Uh, I kind of what's what's it called like the good times flow or something. Yeah, uh, let the love flow. Let the love flow, which in that episode is played like over and over and over again because Matt had that song playing when he woke up woke up Mary that day. Um, and that song was just stuck in my head for like and a week. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned too that the Matt centric episodes in each season are actually really good. So season one, we have, he's trying to win money to keep the church. So he goes on like a gambling spree. Mm. Um, and there was, oh, a, I forgot about that. yeah, there was a pigeon on the table. So he keeps betting on the same number and he keeps tripling, like doubling. Then he triples his money and just keeps going. And it's really, really cool. Um, and we just see Matt is just probably the best character. Mm. I think Matt, Matt is just like the truest form of just, I guess, religion and community in the sense that he is very, um, he, he just wants to help people mm. and whether or not you believe in his methods of helping people, for instance, he's creating like a, uh, um, not a book, he's creating those flyers in season one to sort yeah. of highlight um, that the people who did disappear weren't good people. Um, so Nora being his sister as well, he um, informs Nora that he, um, Nora's husband was actually cheating on, on her um, and that's pretty hard for Nora to swallow as well, mm. um, which creates a lot of resentment for Matt. But I think she starts to understand Matt a little. So that's season one. And season two, the Nora, uh, the Matt-centric episode is Matt um, uh, trying to find out what's... Well, I guess he's he's vanished, really, isn't he, from Miracle because John won't help him because John doesn't believe in miracles. And mm. I think that comes from the fact that John was here before October 14th and John was molested as a kid in Miracle. So he doesn't really believe this town is anything special. Mm. And that's what his job is. We see that he burns down this guy's house because the guy is promoting that he is actually communicating um, with the, with the dead um, or the, uh, it's the dead, isn't it? He's not actually communicating with the vanished. Is he? I can't remember. Well, it's burns. definitely Laurie and him in season three are communicating with the dead, but it's not, well, not really. Um, yeah, I think um, Matt as well, he's probably, he's just so stressed all the time. Yeah. Like he's just, and that's what kind of makes it funny. Like everything is such a panic. Not a, I, I, I say funny not as in oh, he's stressed out, but every situation that he's in is just heightened by Matt's panic and it's just kind of like, oh, my goodness, calm down. But, um, yeah, in this in the second one, it's uh, Matt gets a lot more, time in the spotlight and then yeah when he is banished he again still trying to be a good person this person outside so outside of miracle there's like a camp for people who want to get into miracle um but you can't people can't get in and out of miracle like a normal town it's like got a giant bridge and you have to um apply for permits and things to actually get into the town um anyway matt's banished outside of miracle so he goes to this camp and there's this guy who's been put up on a what do you call those old timey things where you've got your head and your arms in? I can't remember what they are. A cross. No, I, no. I, it's like a. It's it's like a. Um, I, don't, I don't know what they call it. Yeah, it's like a guillotine type yeah. thing, but it's like a, a, a like they're in prison sort of thing, so mm. they're chained up in this thing. Yeah. So Matt switches with, um, with this guy that's up there because he felt bad for him and stuff. So he's still trying to be a nice person, and that's. I don't know. I really like Matt. He's one of my favorite. Yeah, characters. and he's played by, wonderfully by Christopher Eccleston, who was the Doctor that everyone forgets from Doctor Who, and he was also the villain, uh, the Dark Elf from Thor Two, which is a very forgettable movie as well. But he is a very um, he, he yeah, like Jess said, he's he's at this heightened level of just tension during the entire, and it, it's very it is 
a bit funny to watch because he's just so heightened compared to everyone else. So you just have this constant stress level when he's on screen, but in a in a more of a comedic sense. Um, but I guess in, like in season one, um, he he's um, generosity and sense of community by he tries to give this guy money and nearly gets jumped in season one, nearly loses the money. Yeah, no, that, it's just like a constant up and down. You're like, oh, yes, Matt, he won all the money. Then he gets bashed and taken away. And then like it's like up and down all the time. And that's what's good about Leftovers is like, like you're constantly – wondering what's happening yeah and season, all the time and season two as well so when he goes when they go into um when they go into miracle they're given these wristbands um and matt and mary have wristbands um and he's coming back from the um obstetrician appointment and um he there's these people broken down on the side of the road um and um, matt pulls over to help them the guy learns that matt has these wristbands and um he's essentially just beaten his hands broken so that the wristband can be pulled over his hand and poor matt is then left um in a situation but it's not as dour as what you think when matt first gets back there but it's uh john is the one who needs to sign them in and because matt believes that um there is you know a miracle um that's happened and john like i said is not in favor of the fact that miracles happen in miracle um he's telling matt to denounce what's happened and matt just refuses to do so so john refuses to help them out and let them in and it leaves with i guess the final straw is when matt just blatantly asks john he says what happened to you and then john you just see this rage just go over john's face and he's just like i'm not helping you and john Mm. turns his back on them and then kevin's like calm down matt we'll get you safe sort of thing and um, they find the the kid um, who's in a bit of trouble, um, who was with the dad. Who the dad hits a deer again, which yeah, is and more dies. symbolism. And the yeah. dad dies, and the kids in the bushes. And Matt Find just himself. again being a good person. Matt takes the wristband off the dead father, but um, lets the kid stay in miracle. It's like he's just no matter what happens, he's just a good person, yeah. and he's just willing to do what he needs to do. But he believes that a Mar- Mary leaves the town of miracle then things are going to happen and she's not going to be better anymore or she's going to lose the baby or she's going to lose the baby yeah Yeah. because he thinks it's a product of being in miracle i think um you know the guy bashing up matt to try and get into miracle shows how desperate the people who are left over from the disappearance are to just find some normality i mean trying to get into miracle is you know the only place that didn't have this horrible thing happen so the desperation of people to try and get into miracle is pretty like that leaves the whole um situation so heightened that's why people are just like yeah doing unhumane things to try and get into this town and you know stealing matt's wristband like he just yeah had no qualm in you know bashing up matt while he's um disabled wife is sitting in the car like it's just it's so awful but you kind of really see what would happen if something like this happened in real life like what how would people handle and cope and would you become really selfish and just try and put yourself and your family first at any cost of anyone else so it's really interesting um but yeah I think maybe you could talk about your favorite episode of the yeah Kevin because we talk about Matt (laughs) Um, so, um, I guess my, yeah, my favorite episode, um, is, uh, the international, um, assassin episode. Um, so like I said, during this whole season, Kevin is just seeing Patty Levin, um, and he goes to John's father who has this, um, I guess it's this remedy, um, to get rid of Patty out of his head. And it's essentially has to kill himself for that part of his brain to sort of die. So that, um, and, and I, I guess it's this spiritual realm and I, 
I guess it comes back to whether you believe that this is actually happening or if it's in Kevin's head. And I, I think the answer is it doesn't really matter. That's not the importance of this. This is Kevin's struggle and it's Kevin's battle that he needs to overcome. So essentially he drinks this poison, his heart stops. Um, and then we go into Kevin's subconscious as he takes down Patty Levin um, in, yeah, the most interesting episode. There's a lot of repercussions here, um, I guess, as to Kevin as a person. We're seeing a lot of what goes on um, at a bit of abusive relationship between um, uh, Patty and her husband, um, mm. which, and this is the example that I want to give where this could just be in Kevin's head. My example of this being is that um, Patty was actually Laurie's patient when Laurie was a psychologist. Um, and Laurie's, when she comes to Miracle, which we haven't mentioned yet, Laurie does end up in Miracle as well um, to help Kevin. Um, and when Laurie does arrive in Miracle, she um, says, I, I told you about Patty, like patient, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Patient confidentiality, mm. um, like doesn't really, it didn't really matter. Don't tell on me, but I did tell you about Patty and her, her abusive husband. Yeah, so it kind of made you think, oh, is Kevin just imagining this? Um, because Laurie, yeah, that, that's one good thing about this is that everyone seems to be interconnected and, yeah, Patty was Laurie's patient and that's why you, you're then thinking, oh, okay, well, does Kevin only know all this stuff because Laurie has told him previously or is it real and Patty actually is there and telling him this stuff? So it, yeah. it's it's really it's really good. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why, like, you're, it's sort of playing on your mind. But I think, like I said, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter no. uh, and it's whether what, what you want to take of it. Me personally, I think that it's coincidence. I don't think that this is actually taking place in some spiritual realm. But if it is, it doesn't really matter. Um, like, because it, it doesn't really impact the overall outcome. What mm. Kevin's trying to do is get rid of Patty out of his head and it does work. Um, and it's just this battle back and forth inside Kevin's mind. And it's just, it's so interesting and it's so well done too. We have like um, this repetitive music playing during the episode and things like that. Just those sort of things to create that level of, um, I want to say that, that, that setting up that spiritual world as well. Like it's, just, it's very interesting. So essentially um, Kevin has to take down Patty who, and I think in this one, cause it, we visit the spiritual realm twice um, in the leftovers. And the first time is um, she's the, she's she's the, the president. president. Yeah. So she's um, and he's like um, an assassin and he's got to take down Patty. Um, and then he takes down the stunt double or the, um, what do you call them? The doppelganger. Well, the person who's posing as Patty. Um, oh yeah, because pa- you think you know who Patty is, and then a, a twist, and it's actually not. It's actually a little the, girl. It's a little girl. <laughs> so it's Patty as a child, sort of thing. So Kevin's got to do the unthinkable and kill a child, um, and that's that's the whole thing. Um, and yeah, it, it's pretty powerful. The, the conversations that Kevin has during this um, episode are quite powerful. I really like them. The mm. conversation he has with Patty, where Patty's just asking him a bunch of questions and she knows the fate, like she knows that she has to die. Um, that's her purpose sort of thing. And um, it's just like that back and forth, like does Kevin have to kill a kid for him to be okay? Like what's mm. the, and it's a, it is just really powerful and it's just a really well executed episode. There isn't a great deal to it. And when you're watching it, like uh, we watched it with our friend um, and he had no idea what was going on. Like, Oh, yeah, Hayden. <laughs> Hay- Hayden had no idea what was going on. Shout but, out to you, Hayden. Um, but, yeah, it was just it was a lot of fun and I, 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 I just really liked that episode. It's just stylistic. It's really interesting and it's it has good repercussions for the rest of the show afterwards as well. Um, but, yeah, that's that's that episode. One, one of the things that I was just thinking about when you were talking is – 
Uh, and you said he has, like Kevin has to make the decision of if he um, kills the little little Patty or not, and he's conflicted. But that's as a viewer, you're conflicted the whole time with every character. Like I was just thinking about then, oh poor Patty, she's you know has to be killed as a little girl, or um, she poor Patty, she was abused by her husband and things. But then you also think about what Patty did in the Guilty Remnant, and you're like, oh my goodness, you're such a terrible person in the Guilty Remnant. Like she made all those people hurt, and she. Stone Gladys and all this, and it's like, oh, man, you're just constantly conflicted all the time, and I think that's what is good about this too. Mm. Same with Kevin. Like you feel bad for Kevin, but then you know that he cheated on Laurie. And and I think that's the thing too, though, is just like um, oh, like going back to Patty, though, is like um, you see why Patty would do the things that she would do too. Yeah, exactly. And Patty's constantly during um, – her psychology um, sessions with Laurie, we mm. hear some of the dialogue where she keeps saying something bad is going to happen. Mm. But it was just that that's not Patty with a sixth sense, but you can see why she would then believe it to be yeah, a sixth sense. So she kept thinking something bad was happening. And when it did on the 14th, she thought that she predicted, predicted it. Predicted it. So, and, and like Laurie said, she constantly said the world was going to end, but that's yeah. because her world was ending and, around her. Um, so that's it's just really powerful stuff and there's a lot going on there, but um, this episode sort of just deals with it. And then Kevin is seemingly resurrected from the dead um, oh, man, where he, he, he rises from the um, – he's buried um, by Michael, who is um, John and Erica's son. Um, and Michael sort of – he says, I buried you eight hours ago. Like how are you alive? You weren't breathing. Um, and Michael, um, uh, they start to believe that Kevin is like the next coming of Jesus. And that comes and back. And then Matt. <laughs> Matt. And then in season three, Matt's writing a book, um, the book of like Kevin. The second Bible or something. Yeah, cause... it's the sequel to the Bible and it's about Kevin because Kevin survives death twice. We see in um, the end of season one, uh, season two, he's shot through the chest by John and he survives again. Um, where he goes back to the um, spiritual world. So I guess he goes spiritual world three times because when he gets shot through the chest, he goes through and sees that guy. Um, yeah, I think it's um, – isn't it more than that though? I think he just keeps getting in these situations and then I think that's it's why... three. I think it's three times though because that time he gets shot and then he has to sing, remember, to get out. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think that's why in the third one he's he starts to believe that maybe he is invincible, hence with the plastic bag and things. Yep. Which, that was very graphic for me at the start and then I kind of worked it out. But I think that's why this show has like so many different facets. So like there's that religious facet of is Kevin the next Jesus or God or immortal? And then like so you could think about it in that way, but then you could also think about it in this psychology point of view where is it all in everyone's heads and is everyone just trying to grab onto something that seems like they can believe in, like this religious thing because they are hurt so much, the trauma? Um, is it all in Kevin's head? Not sure. Is it religion? Like it is really interesting. There's so many different views and lenses that you could actually put onto the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I guess season two ends up um, where the three disappeared girls we find out did meet up with Meg. Um, who yeah. Meg hasn't really paid, played a huge part in this season. Oh, she has a little bit. She's kind of brewing under the surface, bringing we're, back we're the only guilty seeing, remnant. Well, I guess we, we'll discuss briefly. So Tom and Laurie are essentially trying to rescue people from the guilty remnant. That's their job mm. now. Because um, 
at the end of the first season when the house kind of burns down, Laurie, I think after seeing Jill is rescued and yeah. thinks I need to get out. Yeah. So she, yeah, leaves the guilty remnant. So her and Tommy have met up and, um, yeah, they're essentially going around rescuing people from the guilty remnant, which is um, pretty, like, it's a, it gives Laurie a bit of a purpose too. And Laurie's writing a book as well mm. to try and explain what it was like inside. Um, so then season, yeah, at the end of season two, we find out that Meg has this plan to sort of blow up miracle. That's their plan sort of thing. And that there's no actual bomb on the bus. It's just more of a distraction to get everyone into miracle. Then we just see that, um, the, the destruction of miracle, essentially, it's like the end of, um, the first one, the destruction of Mapleton miracle sort of falls here as well. Um, where everyone just rampages the town and, um, Kevin shot by John and, um, it all sort of comes to a head, and that—that's really the end of that season, though. Is just like the, and you see Evie blown up. Yeah, so we that, well, that's actually a start of season three. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. they started. I don't know. It's been so long. All the episodes are combining. Um, the start of season three. Um, well, I guess that's season two. Do you have anything else to add to season two? Um, not really. I don't think we can capture everything that happens. Like in every episode, there's st- so many storylines, and I think. Chris got really cranky at me after most episode because I'd always be saying, why, why this, what's happening to this, but why, like constantly asking all these questions because there are so many little plots that are happening, but then they all get tied up for the next, se- not not necessarily all get tied up little answers every episode. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, I, I'm um, used to watching shows where you kind of just have a start, middle, end every episode and it all gets kind of tied up. Whereas you're in, you might get an answer to one of your questions, but then more like a thousand more questions pop into your head. And I think one, one episode one, after one episode, you're just like, shut up. We hit, well, well, I guess this is your, you're used to serialized drama. So just to put in perspective, Jess watches like The Good Doctor and New Amsterdam and shows like that where they do have a continuing story arc, but every episode can be watched as its own contained mm. piece. Um, whereas a HBO show, I guess this is your first real HBO show. We watched right, The Outsider. We watched Chernobyl. And, and Chernobyl. we watched The Outsider. Yeah, I guess the way to compare the two is that, like those HBO shows because home box office, that's what it means, which means it's cinema in your home. That's the whole idea of HBO when it first started. So each TV show by HBO sort of feels like a large movie. Mm. Um, the Leftovers, you could say The Leftovers 1, 2, and 3. They're, they're big movies. Well, they're essentially three different – like. The first one set um, its own little where's, – where's the town again? Um, Mapleton. Mapleton. Then it's in um, – Jordan. Jordan. And then we go to Australia, which is really cool. Yeah, so still. season three is set in Australia. And I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll delve into season three. Um, so I guess season three now is um, – it's another – because they're about to celebrate the seventh. It's five years after, I think. Yeah, so is it seven years or eight years or something? Seven years after. Se- because they, they, that's a whole other thing is that – the seventh year, which they think yeah. because of the religious ties. Yeah, so like se- seven days, yeah. seven years sort of thing. So they think that something big's going to happen. Maybe they're going to return. Maybe more people are going to vanish. Um, so we see now that um, Kevin is now the police chief of um, of Jordan, uh, Texas. Um, and I guess the town is under control. It just feels like a normal town now, yeah. though. It's not, it's not this big thing anymore. It's just a normal town. Um, we find out that the guilty remnant were bombed. Um, so Evie is dead. Um, Meg is dead. Um, I hate Meg. All the guilty remnant are sort of dead. Uh, they were bombed um, in Jordan because they were the catalyst of um, an uprising, I guess. So the, the government's reaction, or the I think it was the National Guard, just like, well, 
Screw well, you. And I don't think the guilty remnant aren't around in the third one at all. No, they're not. They? No, yeah, I think I think so they've sort gone. of fallen. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that they're done. Um. And uh, yeah, we just see what life is like in in Jordan now. So mm-hmm. we I think have. That's why you get some normality as well, because people are able to start to move on because the guilty remnant aren't in your face. Yeah, again. and Nora's back to doing what she was doing. She's doing the questionnaires again. Mm-hmm. Um. Kevin's oh. back now. The police of chief. Uh, police of chief. Chief of police. We didn't talk about Lily. How Lily gets well, taken that's away. at the start of this. Se- that's only in the start of season. Oh, season that is three. right. Yeah, yeah. sorry. So, um, Lily is um, gone back to her mother. Her um, mother has actually taken Lily back. So that's what Nora's dealing with in this season. Nora's mm. just like, oh crap, this has happened. And I think another child again. Yeah, I think that's why because Kevin's okay, um, but then that's how Nora kind of takes over the spotlight in this one. Yeah, because now she's dealing with not essentially a fourth disappearance for her, whereas for Kevin, it doesn't really. It doesn't affect him as much. No, it's I would not. Say. It's not as. It's not affecting him as nearly as much. Um, and so we're we're seeing that aspect. Um, we see that um, Kevin's dad, Kevin Garvey Senior, is now living over <laughs> in Australia. He gets his own episode, which I actually really like. His episode. Yeah, and I think you see his psychosis even more. Like he is just off the rails. Yeah. Um, and he's obsessed with. Aboriginal culture. And He's trying to get the rain dance. So he thinks that there's going to be a flood that's going to happen on this anniversary, the seven-year anniversary. So he's trying to get all the rain dances from this Aboriginal culture because he was told in the National Geographic book from the first season no. to go over to Australia. So he's trying to yeah learn all these dances and he's trying to find the last elder that he needs to speak to in South Australia, which was Christopher Sunday. Yeah. And he's trying to find Christopher Sunday to learn this dance because he's like the last elder of his tribe, I think. So he's the one, they say he's the only one who knows this rain dance. Um, And they're seeing it as like cultural appropriation because you're seeing um, Kevin Garvey Sr. just doing these indigenous dances on these ritual sites. And he's not doing it in a disrespectful way because he thinks he's helping everyone. But the local indigenous people are thinking, yeah, this is not on. Um, It's, um, It's very well done. Like, I mean, in the last couple of years, I've been very interested in Aboriginal culture and, like learning all about um, the different backgrounds and things like that. So it was for me, like it was really well shot and just respectful, very respectful. Um, I'm not sure if the characters who were actually portrayed in the episodes, if they were Aboriginal elders or not. Oh, I I don't think they were. They were definitely Aboriginal descent. Descent, but I don't know if they were that, like if the character was based on an actual Aboriginal elder. Um. But even just the communities that you go into, like it kind of gives you a bit of an insight into um, the current Aboriginal culture in Australia, like these villages and stuff in outback Australia that like we don't get. I've seen a couple because we were lucky enough to go through, you know, the Northern Territory and things as kids, but kind of gives you a bit of perspective of what it's like out there and it is really interesting. And um, I think yeah. it's probably the the best representation or one of the better representations of like, um, I guess I'll, I'll say foreign cinema in the sense that it's not Australian based. This show is a, an American TV mm. show. So it's pretty cool to see them actually like um, them, them take on board this indigenous first nation culture. Cause it's yeah. not something that we, have seen on like that that level or scale. I mean, you could go to Australia the film, but I don't think that that's that's very surface level. And this film just like um, they do it in a way where it's just like it, it's by it's not disrespectful at all. It's, and it's it just, actually celebrates. I think yeah, more absolutely. The, like the traditional dances, and you get actually get to see and witness. And there are there is Aboriginal music that's played. You know, with the didgeridoo and the traditional instruments. So it is. 
I actually really like it because generally in foreign, if Australia's portrayed, we're portrayed as that, you know, uh, I don't want to say hillbilly, but. Um, well, there is a representation of one of our, um, uh, an Australian in the show though, um, Kevin, the, uh, they think that it's this, because um, they found um, the book of Kevin, Matt's book that he's written about Kevin, he sent over to Kevin Garvey Sr. Um, and he's tossed away the book and um, these ladies have found the book. And they think that they've found Kevin because it talks of a police chief named Kevin. And in mm. the town near them, which is just complete coincidence, there's another guy named Kevin and he's a complete asshole. We're only introduced to him for a couple of minutes, but we just see that he's just like um, drunk with power sort of thing mm. in this small town in Outback Australia. Um, and they drown him essentially, which was kind of funny in a way just to see how these people have just found this random book in a trash can and they're like, oh, crap, this is the real Bible. Let's kill this man. Um, but, yeah, that that whole aspect is really interesting. Mm. So essentially Nora and Kevin end up going over to Australia um, and Laurie, uh, John and um, Matt end up joining them as well. Yeah, Nora goes over not to find Kevin Gardy, Gardy, Garvey Senior, sorry. Nora goes over because she's told that um, there is this, uh, I, I don't want, it's like a, a professor or yeah. like he's made this machine that can take you to essentially the other side where the disappearer, the disappeared people go. And so Nora says to Kevin, oh, I'm not going to go or anything. I just want to see what, what it is. But, but you I'm know you know that Nora wants to go. She, yeah, she wants just... to go to her family because she's lost Lily. Kevin and her have been having trouble because, they, oh, no, that was in the first, second they, one. They, they can't really, they, they just can't. They're not, connect, they're not connecting in yeah. the way like they're, they're just unable to move forward. And Nora, of course, loves Kevin, but she's just struggling so much. I think she just needs that closure. Yeah, she Nora's, just wants to know where her kids are. Yeah, she just wants to know that everything's okay so she can move on. Um, and that's the whole setup for this season is mm. Nora just trying to move on. Um, and like we said, Kevin's putting bags over his head because he wants to know if he is immortal or he's not. And mm. Kevin starts to go a bit loony again in a scene that Jess found to be quite funny. Um, Kevin thinks that he finds Evie over in um, watching G'day, oh, G'day Australia in I Melbourne. I wasn't laughing about that. It was the cut to this person. Yeah. So he, he thinks he finds Evie, but it ends up being um, a, a different lady. And um, Kevin's like gone up to her and he's like taking photos of her. And then we see the photos of the phone on, on his phone. And she's like horrified. <laughs> and, and Jess's reaction to the cutaway shot was quite funny as she laughed because it did look pretty funny because Laurie... Um, Laurie, he calls Laurie to say, I found Evie, I found Evie. And then Laurie's like, no, have a look at the photo. You haven't found Evie. It's interesting though, because Laurie and Kevin start to reconnect and Nora and Kevin start to, um, like move apart. They do, but it's not, it's not in a romantic sense at all. No, 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 it's more, it's more of a, Laurie is now supporting Kevin because previous to the, um, the, the October 14th, sorry, I'm sounding American, the 14th of October, um, they weren't supportive of each other and I think that's why the marriage kind of broke down mm. because Kevin didn't feel supported by Laurie, hence why he went and had a, an affair. I'm not condoning that at all. but You um, can see, you can see, see why, why Kevin was yeah. led to that, yeah, and to then, that point. And then so now in season three it's like a complete turnaround because the first person that Kevin rings is Laurie and says, you know, am I going insane again? I just saw Evie. Um, and he he because he can't tell John. So essentially, John and Laurie are, uh, are together yeah, that's now another, as well. Another twist. Um, <laughs> we knew that Erica and John were on the fritz of breaking up because Erica drew all the money out of their account prior to October fourteenth because he was going to she was going to leave him. Yeah, and she felt bad um, about leaving John with the kids and things. Yeah. So John and Laurie are now 
together. And Erica's just living... Erica and Nora are still in contact because we have that episode where Nora yeah. goes to visit Erica. Yeah, I think that she just is... Yeah, she, she's, she's just, just in the, she's just in the town. Yeah, and and, and she she's still. Oh, she still talks to John because she. She does. Him. They're still friends. Yeah. yeah, and I think that it's like it was amicable. They they ended on a mm. on a good on good terms, and then um, Laurie and John are now together. Um, and we get that um, that sequence. Um, yeah, with um, showing what Laurie and John are up to. Essentially, they're just providing closure to people um, who have lost people. Like if they've lost, you know, a loved one or something. They look up information and just provide closure in like that psychic sense. And again, you're conflicted. Like, is that right to do? So, is it morally right? But uh, like, and I, I believe, like, I, I don't. It, for me, it's cut and dry, and it's not as cut and dry for some people. But I just think if you're providing closure to people, is it all that bad? Yeah. And he, it's so not essentially like, what they're doing is like John will be sitting there talking, and with an earpiece in his ear, and Laurie's providing him. Like Laurie will be listening on the conversation while googling these yeah. people and. And saying that they and looking up on Facebook and saying all these things and John relays it and essentially it's like saying they've got closure. The person walks away thinking that John has contacted the dead. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and they just walk away thinking, okay, well I've got that closure now. So we're seeing that um, on one side of the coin and on the other side of the coin, we've got Laura traveling around the country or the world trying to find closure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so they end up. Um, all of them end up in Melbourne, as um, we see. Um, we find out where Kevin is. Um, well, the boys are chasing Kevin because they think again. They think he's uh, Jesus or God or yeah. the next and Messiah. So, so and... Matt, Matt's got them all over on a boat trying to get <laughs> find out. Um, you know, and that's one of my favorite episodes of this season. I actually really like the boat episode oh, because we same. have Matt. It's so we have funny. Matt just <laughs> running around and there's like this party where I can't remember is, is it Alex the line what's the line's name? Yeah, Alex. It's like this weird it's this weird line. Brothel I, yeah, thing they're doing. It's like a festival on a boat between Tasmania and because uh, they couldn't land the plane in Melbourne because um, it was a storm. Yeah, so it was that, a storm. So they, they, could, they landed could only in Hobart. get into Hobart. Yeah. So they landed in Hobart and they have to catch this ferry across, but the only ride they can get... Spirit of Tasmania. The, 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 um, the way that they can get across is on this ferry and it's just going like it's this weird festival of just and the lady says to him, which is really funny. We have that awful joke that... Um, the only way they could get on the boat is for Matt to deliver a joke and because he's religious and he's quite a good soul. We've heard him swear probably twice in the whole show um, and he just delivers this disgusting joke with just a straight face and it would, that was really funny because he just doesn't laugh or anything. He just says the joke and it just like his voice doesn't change. You're like, oh, Matt, you have no idea. Um, and they go on this boat and there's just like sex, drugs, just everything going on and Matt's just uncomfortable the whole time. But and he, again, he's heightened like level of stress, and he, <laughs> everyone else is just chilling out, and he's just running around the boat. He witnesses a, a, what he thinks to be a murder as well, um, where a, an ex, um, a, a, an ex sports commentator in Australia um, was involved in an accident, um, and he was like, he fell. I can't remember. They said he fell like twenty feet or something off a cliff face. Mm. Um, so now, because he survived, he thinks he's Jesus too. So he's ha- he doesn't talk and he hands out cards of him being Jesus. And we've seen this man previously in Kevin's spiritual world as mm. well, um, which I think could be you know Kevin saw it on the Just news. Just see it on the news or something. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, oh crap, and that that's how that connection's made. But um, Matt witnesses this guy throw someone over the board of a boat and no one's believing him. So Matt's the whole episode, Matt's just running around the boat, just thinking like, 
Because Matt, Matt already needs to get to Hobart, oh, needs to get to Melbourne. He needs to get to mainland Heaven. Australia. He needs to get to him before the date of October 14th. Um, so he's already at this heightened level of panic. Um, but then he's also running around this <laughs> boat just trying to convince people that this guy has just murdered someone and no one believes and him. And all these people are just like doing drugs and naked and wearing cat things and he's just running up to people and no and then I actually think they have this thing where you're not allowed to say the lion's name and if you do you then have to you do... become the lion yeah so <laughs> yeah you have so, to take down the lion yeah so so then and then he he does that and um and then he's like he's being chained up essentially he's just like he, and then he like because they all think it's kind of fun and game still and then he just starts screaming he's like let me off <laughs> So he gets off and then he gets, he finally gets the conversation with the man that's pronouncing himself or announcing himself as Jesus. Mm. Um, and that conversation was, was interesting as well. And then um, we find out that Matt wasn't lying and that the man actually did kill someone and he was going to be arrested once the boat touches down in Melbourne. Um, and then he ends up getting killed by the lion because the lion gets out of the cage. And yeah, it's a weird, but you kind of got to watch it to understand. Yeah, but... it is a weird episode. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really like that episode. And mm. by the end of that trip to from Tasmania to Melbourne, that's when he he realizes too. He's like, this doesn't actually matter. No. Matt Matt realizes by the end of it, he goes, what's the point? There's yeah. no point in trying. What's going to happen is going to happen. We can't really prevent it, sort of thing. So he's sort of like. We'll find Kevin, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, another another thing that Matt's trying to deal with as well to add to his he has to find Kevin and it's so important is that Mary actually, um, because it's seven years on at uh, five years on or seven years on, um, Mary has had their son, Noah, and um Mary actually left Matt because Matt was so obsessed with Kevin and trying to write this book and so And trying to keep Mary in miracle, he wouldn't let her leave. Let her leave things. and just being so controlling over Mary. So because she went he was back worried. to Mapleton and she yeah. took their kid. So he's got that as well. He's just lost his kid essentially and he's dying. We find out that he's got yeah, cancer. There's just so many layers. To so me. so there's a lot going on with Matt um in that episode. Um and he finally links up again with Nora. Mm-hmm. Um and um, Nora's decided that she's going to go ahead with this um, experiment. She's going to go and, yeah, find out what, what this is all about. Will she see her kids again? She doesn't really know, but... It was really nice because Matt kind the others went off to find Kevin and Kevin Gardy Sr. And Matt just says, no, I'm going to stay with Nora. I'm going to be with family on the day. And I just thought that was really nice because... It's really, this it is whole, a, yeah. Nora and Matt have had tension, not tension, but a know, strained co- relationship. Co- co- yeah, um, constant. And they are both lost, well, obviously, they, they both lost their parents when they were younger. In a house fire. Yeah, so it was Matt and um, Nora growing up. And yeah, and I think that, that was really nice closure yeah. on their relationship. And Matt walks her to the, you, essentially, you get into this little, um, all and it transports you to the new. And I know it sounds a bit cheesy and stuff, but they actually kind of scientifically explain it. And for someone like me who likes facts, it, it it kind of made sense. So that that was good. But anyway, you transported to the other side, and Matt was there for her, which is really nice. Yeah, and that's probably the most touching moment of the whole show is the two of them talking about um, um, Matt, Matt and Nora just talking about when they were kids. And yeah, I- just sitting out watching while Nora was waiting for her. Um, waiting for her turn to go on the thing and they're just sitting next to the water just talking about their kids and and yeah Matt talks about his cancer and stuff and yeah, it's um, just a really it's just a really nice somber moment mm. and it's just a really nice payoff to the two characters because i guess like 
from the start of the, the the show, they've just they haven't had a connection. Um, really, they've always they've, been butting heads. They because, have been. Yeah, Matt's very stubborn. That's yeah. his thing during the whole show. Is that he's incredibly stubborn. And then he dumps Mary on <laughs> Nora as well. So Nora's looking after Mary, which Nora doesn't care about. She takes it in a stride. Like she doesn't. She's Nora's very. Um, I think Nora's very generous as well. Mm. Nora, Nora is also extremely stubborn, but I, I think that's why they butt heads. But yeah. you can see that they how they're brother and sister as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, then we get another episode of Kevin in the spiritual world. Um, this one, not as good as the first season's episode, but, um, this one's pretty interesting as well. Um, essentially they're trying to drown Kevin to see, because they think if they drown him, um, then it's going to stop this flood. Um, and Kevin's... They all give him tasks to go and talk yeah. to. Like John go- John says, go and find Evie. And, uh, Kevin Garvey Jr. says, go and find... Senior. Uh, sorry. Kevin Gubby said, yeah, he goes and uh, he goes needs to find Christopher it. Sunday because that's another funny <laughs> moment that we didn't talk about when Kevin Garvey Sr. finally gets to meet Christopher Sunday to learn this Indigenous rain dance. Um, he falls off the roof and kills Christopher Sunday. <laughs> so because he's killed Christopher Sunday, now he needs to go, get Kevin to go to the spiritual land to learn this dance. And Christopher Sunday is the Prime Minister of Australia in the dream world. Yeah. Um, and Kevin – is Kevin the president? Kevin's the president, the president now. Because then yeah. Paddy shows up again. Yeah, pa- Paddy's now and like the, um, the Secretary of Defence and Meg is like um, just his assistant or something. And then the, I just hate Meg. So he much. kills Meg. He shoots Meg. Um, and then Kevin, uh, he kills Patty again as well. Um, and then he talks to Christopher Sunday. And then the lady that's letting them live at their house in Australia, um, her three kids. Um, five. She had five kids. Five kids. And they all, did they pass away? They, no. So that was really sad. She thought that they disappeared. So it, they went for a walk on the 14th of October. And then, so she assumed that they disappeared. But what happened to the kids? They went for a walk and then they couldn't, they got stuck in the storm and the panic. And then they couldn't find their way home and they basically just starved to death. They didn't disappear. Yeah, That's they, why they, they, they died. Went. They died against that sign where, yeah. where Kevin Gar- where she finds Kevin Garvey Sr. So she thinks that there's something going on because he's passed out yeah. in front of this sign. So um and she wants to find out where their shoes where their shoes went. Um Yeah, so why did they take off their why shoes? Why did they take off yeah. their shoes? So um she's asked them, uh, Kevin, to find out that. Um, which, like you said, is quite sad mm. that that happened to this poor lady. And she's an interesting character too. Um, and Laurie, um, I guess before we enter this spiritual world too, Laurie has that conversation with Kevin. She drugs everyone so that she can just have a moment alone with Kevin to find out if he wants to go through with this. And that was a really nice moment mm. too because they talk about their relationship. And mm. finally, um, Laurie tells Kevin that she was pregnant as well. So one oh, of the reasons why... <laughs> One of the reasons why Laurie was so messed up was that she was actually pregnant with a child um, and she saw the child disappear from the screen as she was getting an um, ultrasound. ultrasound. Um, so that's part of the reason why she was so messed up, that she why saw she life disappeared guilty. from within her. So, yeah, that's the catalyst of her becoming a member of the Guilty Remnant. And um, she finally gets to tell Kevin, like, we've been waiting for it the whole show, and she mm-hmm. finally just says it and they have the conversation and... It, she Laurie says I wasn't really ready for a kid because Kevin says I'd never wanted a dog because that was the whole thing was that Laurie was going to pick them up a, a Labrador puppy and Kevin's like I don't want a dog. And that was so the, many layers. There are there. so many layers. Um, but yeah, then Kevin goes into the spiritual world. He connects with each of the people, but um, it's sort of a failed attempt. The flood is seemingly coming, but then it just stops raining. Um, and then, yeah, we see Nora get on board this um, this machine and then we cut to it's 20 years, is it, or 15 years? Well, she's old. Yeah, she's yeah. old um, now. In the last episode, 
um, is one of the best episodes of the show. Um, it's in the future. Nora is old and uh, older Kevin has also visited Nora. Um, so she's returned from wherever she went. Um, and Kevin's going to visit Nora um, and he lies about why he's there. He's like, oh, I never knew you sort of thing. And you're like, what game is he sort of playing? You're like, surely he remembers who she is. Um, and it's sort of the two of them rekindling. He's trying to just spend time with her, really. That's all he wants. And yeah. we find out that for the last, like, 15, 20 years that he's been coming to Australia looking for Nora. Um, he gets two weeks holiday. He says he gets two weeks holiday a year and he comes over to Australia every year trying to find her. Um, and that's kind of sweet. You're like, what's – and he's still living in um, – he says he's still living in the exact same house as well um, in um, Miracle. They're all still there. Laurie and John still live next door. Um, and yeah, Kevin's sort of like, um, yeah, he's just trying to find Nora really. Um, and then we get, uh, to the conclusion, I guess, which is the best part of the, um, in my opinion, I don't know how you feel, but the conclusion. No, I really liked it. Yeah. So uh, what I'll do is I'll just play the audio now for the conclusion, just so that you can hear, um, I guess what happens. So have a listen. Did I think about you? Did I want to call you? Did I want to be with you, Kevin? Of course I did. But so much time had passed. It was too late. And I knew that if I told you what happened, that you would never believe me. I believe you. You do? Why wouldn't I believe you? You're here. I'm here. 
So the conclusion being that we never actually see Nora enter this spiritual world, um, but we hear her um, and what happened. Um, and as that audio tells us that she just went to, um, she entered this world and she there was no one around. And um, it, it turns out that everyone who disappeared did go to this world. Mm. Um, it's like an alternate dimension kind of thing. We never see it. We just hear Nora's recount of what happened, which I think is perfect. We don't need to see it. Um, I'd rather hear it from Nora. Um, I think if we saw it, it would have been really cheesy and it just mm. wouldn't have felt... Um, authentic rather than hearing Nora explain this to Kevin, I think is really important. Um, and it's quite touching. I really enjoyed the moments. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And it kind of made you realize that like for Nora, she lost everything. And for her family on the other side, they lost Nora. And yes, that was awful, but they still had each other. And so they could move on a bit more because they had someone, whereas Nora had no one. So I can see that, you know, she went over there and just saw that they were okay and that they had a new, I think that she mentioned that they have a new a new mum. Mum, yeah. Yeah, and, and she just thinks, well, it's not, I'm, I don't fit in here, so I have to come back. And she finds the scientist who initially sent himself there and he's built another machine to get mm. it back and that's how she got back. Mm. And she says, like, in that audio that, did I miss you, Kevin? Of course I did. Did I want to talk to you? Um, but I just didn't think that you would believe me. And then it just finishes with Kevin saying, I believe you, and he reaches out for Nora's hand, which is just sweet. Mm. It means that Nora can finally rest. Yeah. She's finally achieved what she needed to do. Kevin's okay. And the two of them, I, I guess the implication being the two of them can live together happily ever after, really. I suppose the only thing I don't like is that, you, like, um, you don't get to see how everyone else ended up, really. You, you hear, um, I guess, you, you hear that, like... Um, oh, well, Laurie and Nora have been talking. Laurie is um, Nora's um, psychologist. psychologist, so yeah. um, they have monthly meetups over the phone, um, and Laurie said, I never told Kevin where you were. Mm. I kept that patient um, confidentiality. Um and, um, yeah, we find out that, like, uh, Jill's got a husband and uh, Tommy's been married twice, I think he says, doesn't he? Mm. Kevin says Tommy's been married twice. Um, Matt, unfortunately, passed away only a couple of years prior. Um, Nora didn't make it to the funeral and Kevin said it was quite sad that Nora wasn't there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just – and Nora says, well, we said our goodbyes sort of thing. So yeah. Nora says, I'm at peace knowing that Matt was okay um, and that Mary spoke at the funeral too. We mm. hear that. They rekindle. They rekindle, which is good. Um, but we, we hear that. And I, I don't think, like, every character in the, the sense of where we leave them sort of felt like they were complete, mm. if you know what I mean. Like, this this extension of where they're at 15 years later doesn't really matter because at the core it's about Nora and Kevin, and that's mm. what this whole season's been about. Um, so we have that conclusion with those characters, and I thought that was really important. Um, and that's really where the show leaves us, and um, I thought it was the perfect ending. Um, it's one of my favorite endings um, up there with Breaking Bad as one of the best endings of all time. I think it's way fantastic. above the How I Met Your Mother season finale. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really, really good finish. Um, but yeah, that's the leftovers, guys. We've probably missed out heaps, but there's a lot to you could unpack. Never, you could never talk about the whole thing unless you did an episode on every single yeah episode. Episode. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, podcast on every single episode. It just would yeah. never. Yeah, complete it. There's just a lot going on and it's 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 just really powerful. It's just a really, really good show. And I think if you've listened to this, well, we've spoiled everything for you, but um, I would highly recommend going to check it out anyway because it's just so much to unpack in this show. It's fantastic and one of the best shows, in my opinion, of all time. Mm. 
Yeah, I agree completely. Maybe you should put a spoiler alert on the first time. Oh, uh, there will definitely be a spoiler <laughs> alert. It's in the title, The Leftovers Spoiler Discussion. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that really brings it to a close. So do you have anything else to add, Jess? No, thanks for opening me up to this That's show. Okay. I was worried that it was going to be yeah. It is a really good show. I didn't show. particularly like the outsider that much. but No, we watched the outsider um, based on the Stephen King novel with Ben Mendelsohn and Jason Bateman, which I really enjoyed. But um, this show, it's a completely different tone, yeah, completely different everything. When you say, you'd really like this one, I'm always like, <laughs> but it was it is really good and um I, I didn't mention Damon Lindelof uh, wrote this who first of all wrote Lost and Lost sort of had that terrible conclusion so people were like a bit skeptical of him in Hollywood but I'm glad that gave him a chance to adapt this because it is a novel um and I'm glad that gave him a chance to adapt this novel into a show because he does a fantastic job with his screenplay. It, a book? it is a book. Yeah, cool. So you're gonna read the book now. Yeah, probably. Uh, but that brings this episode to a close, guys. So thank you all for listening. Make sure you check out my other episodes I've uploaded recently. Um, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast down below too so you don't miss another episode. And thank you, Jess, for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's all right. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, I'll talk to you guys again soon with my next episode. So stay tuned and peace out. Bye.